Today we continue our summer series called Flipped based on a study of the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, Jesus is going to tell us how to handle anger in Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Uh, But first, I want us to spend like the first half of our time looking at the life of Moses in the Old Testament, the one who gave us the command that Jesus is going to talk about uh, here in Matthew chapter 5, and then we'll spend the remainder of our time looking at what Jesus teaches us about how to deal with anger. Now, first of all, let's talk about Moses. Moses is considered one of the greatest leaders who ever Ever lived, and yet he had a real uh, problem, a struggle with anger. Now, let me, let's just pause on that for a moment. Do you find that encouraging like I do? Moses, considered one of the greatest leaders that ever lived, and yet he had a tremendous anger problem. Boy, there's great comfort in that, that if you have an anger problem, if I have an anger problem, God can still use us because he used uh, Moses. Now, sometimes Moses' anger was a healthy anger, but other times it got him into trouble. Now, does that sound like the guy in my mirror? Does that sound like the person in your mirror? Uh, My goodness, Uh, sometimes it's righteous anger, but much of the time it is not. It is unrighteous anger, and it gets me into a lot of trouble, and I bet you can identify as well. Uh, I love this story. A young girl who was writing an essay for school came to her father and asked, Dad, what's the difference between anger and exasperation? The father replied, it is mostly a matter of degree. Well, let me show you what I mean. With that, her father went to the telephone and dialed a number at random. To To the man who answered the phone, he said, hello, is Melvin there? The man answered, there is no one here named Melvin. Why don't you learn to look up numbers before you dial them? See, said the father to his daughter, that man was not a bit happy with our call. He was probably very busy with something and we annoyed him. Now watch, the father dialed the number again. Hello, is Melvin there? Asked the father. Now look here, came the heated reply. You just called this number and I told you that there's no Melvin here. You've got a lot of nerve calling again. The receiver was slammed out hard. The father turned to his daughter and he said the first time he was annoyed, but you see now that was anger. So we've moved from annoyance uh, to anger. Now I'll show you what exasperation means. He again dialed the same phone number and when a violent voice roared, hello, the father calmly said, hello, this is Melvin. Have there been any calls for me? So that's the difference between being annoyed, being angry, and being exasperated. 80% of drivers said that they have been involved in a road rage incident. 64% of people working in an office have experienced office rage. 71% of internet users admit to having suffered from net rage. And 50% of us have admitted that we have reacted to computer problems by hitting our computer or hurling parts of it around uh, while screaming. Now, Moses' anger as a young man led him to murder someone. Moses' anger as a young man led him to murder someone. Now think about that for a moment. The man who God used to give us the commandment, you shall not murder, was himself a murderer. Uh, Exodus 2, verses 11 and 12. One day after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew 
one of his own people looking this way and that and seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hid him in the sand. Now, this is actually an example of of righteous anger because he did kill a slave owner beating a slave, but he shouldn't have taken matters into his own hands. And Moses found out 40 years later that God was perfectly capable of punishing the Egyptians for enslaving the Israelites. And God did it in 10 very creative and devastating ways. Let me just ask you a question. Is there someone who has hurt you and you're tempted to take matters into your own hand and get revenge on that person? If you just wait, the same God who came up with the 10 plagues of Egypt is able to deal with that person. Don't take matters into your own hands. Leave it up to God. I mean, think about it for a moment as we read about the plagues, uh, frogs, gnats, flies, boils, hail, locusts, and that's like the nicer ones of, of the plagues. After nine of the plagues, Pharaoh still refused to let the Israelites go. And it says it in Exodus chapter 11, verse eight, then Moses, hot with anger, left Pharaoh. But again, this was somewhat of a righteous anger. Uh, Later, Moses is coming down from Mount Sinai where God had given him uh, the covenant law and including uh, the Ten Commandments. And he comes down and he finds uh, the Israelites uh, uh, worshiping an idol, dancing around this idol and worshiping this idol. And again, you see his anger here, but but it's righteous anger. Exodus 32, verse 19, when Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned. And he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, Moses gets by with his anger problem throughout his life. And and maybe when you get by with something, you get complacent and think you'll always get by with it. And he gets by with it until he's older because he's never really dealt with this anger problem. But it bites him in the end because he never dealt with it in younger years and middle years Uh, It finally catches up with him in his older years, Numbers chapter 20, verses 2 through 12. Now there was no water for the community, and the people gathered in opposition to Moses and Aaron. They quarreled with Moses and said, if only we had died when our brothers fell dead before the Lord. Why did you bring the Lord's community into this wilderness that we and our livestock should die here? Why did you bring us up out of Egypt to this terrible place? It has no grain or figs, grapevines or pomegranates, and there is no water to drink. Now they forget that they were slaves in Egypt, but they forget about all that and just complain uh, that things weren't better there as as Moses was leading them through the wilderness uh, to the promised land. Can you imagine how irritating, how annoying that would have been to Moses? Moses and Aaron went from the assembly to the entrance to the tent of meeting and fell face down. Uh, They just go before the Lord, fall face down before him, and the glory of the Lord appeared to them. The Lord said to Moses, take the staff and you and your brother Aaron gather the assembly together. Now he gives them very specific commandments as to how this water is going to be provided for the people. Very specific way that God wanted it done. Speak to that rock before their eyes and it will pour out its water. You will bring water out of the rock for the community so they and their livestock can drink. 
So Moses took the staff from the Lord's presence, just as he commanded him. Okay, good. So far, so good. He and Aaron gathered the assembly together in front of the rock, and all of a sudden, Moses loses his temper. He, he completely loses it. Moses said to them, uh-oh, we got a problem. What did God say? Speak to the rock. God had a certain way he wanted it done so that God would receive all the glory. And now we're going off course. He begins to improvise because of his anger, because he loses his temper. Have you ever done that? I have. I begin to improvise. I begin to say whatever comes into my mind. And that's usually not a good thing. So they, Moses said to them, instead of speaking to the rock, he speaks to them, listen, you rebels, must we bring you water out of this rock? Hold it there for just a second. Must we, Aaron and I, bring this water out of the, oh, what is this we stuff? It's God doing it. We has nothing to do with it. it it's, it's God and God alone. And yet he, he yells at them. He says, you rebels, must we do this for you? Now let's go to verse 11. Then Moses raised his arm and struck the rock twice. He's making up as he goes because he's completely lost his temper with his staff. Water gushed out. Now God still miraculously provides for the nation of Israel despite Moses' disobedience. Water gushed out and the community and their livestock drank. But, uh-oh, uh-oh, but the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, because you did not trust in me enough to honor me as holy in the sight of the Israelites, you are not gonna get to bring this community into the land I give them. And because of this moment of anger, I believe towards the end of his life, Moses gets to climb up the mountain before he dies and see the promised land but he doesn't get to take the nation of Israel to the promised land because of this time that he lost his temper. Uh, a few years ago, I wrote a book called Fourth Quarter Fumbles, Keys to Finishing Strong. And this right here is the ultimate fourth quarter fumble. And I've prayed uh, throughout my life, but particularly as I get older, I've prayed, Lord, help me to avoid an outburst like that that would keep me from finishing well. Lord, help me not to lose it like Moses did, and as a result, not finish uh, what you've called me to do to finish my life well. But you know, recently, the Lord has been speaking to my heart. And the Lord has revealed to me that it's not just avoiding a one-time outburst like Moses, even though that is important. Don't wanna do that. Um, a one-time fumble. But it's not just a one-time fumble. God has revealed to me and spoken to me about this. It's also not allowing anger to control me in the fourth quarter of my life. And I began to feel that that was happening. That anger was beginning to control me in the fourth quarter of my life. And God said, Glenn, you don't want to have one big outburst and, and, and flame out like Moses did. But on the other hand, you don't want the final home stretch or the fourth quarter of your life to be characterized by anger. You, you don't want that either. That would also be not finishing well. Uh, can I make a confession to you as my, 
as my church family, can I make a confession to you? It's harder to control my anger the older that I get. It's harder to control my anger the older that I get. And can I make another confession to you? And COVID hasn't helped. Two confessions to make to my church family. It's harder to control my anger the older I get. And number two, COVID hasn't helped. Does anybody, right where you are in your living room, uh, does anybody want to say amen? On your computer, listening in your car, does anybody want to say amen? It gets harder the older you get, and COVID hasn't helped. Uh, Last week, Pastor Greg uh, went to a conference in Denver, Colorado, and it was an awesome conference, a very kind of elite conference for executive pastors uh, from 200 of some of the strongest churches in the country, 200 of the strongest churches in the nation. And uh, Pastor Greg uh, went there to Denver for a week of that. And Ed Stetzer was one of the speakers. Now, Dr. Stetzer is the Billy Graham Distinguished Chair of Church Mission and Evangelism at Wheaton College. And he's also the Executive Director of the Billy Graham Center. He's considered one of the top experts on churches in in the world. He's one of the top gurus uh, from around the world. And here's what he said. Now, Pastor Greg told me that he had said this. He said that before COVID, as a pastor, you could be leading your church exactly the way God wanted you to do it. You could be in the center of God's will, even if 5% of your church was mad at you at any given time. (laughs) That Before COVID, you could be leading your church, you could be in the center of God's will, even if 5%, and it changes, doesn't it? Sometimes it's a different 5%, and six months later it's a different 5%, but even if 5% of your church was mad at you at any given time, you could still be leading God's church that you're shepherding in the way that God wants you to. He said that today, as we come out of COVID, after 16 months or whatever it is now of COVID, he said that today as a pastor, You can be leading your church exactly the way God wants you to lead your church, even if 20%, now before it was 5%, but now uh, post-COVID or within COVID and and coming out of COVID, you can still be in the center of God's will, uh, even and doing and leading the church the way God wants you to, uh, even if 20% of your church is mad at you at any given time. That's what COVID has, has done to us. Uh, let's do a poll right now to see if I'm over that 20% threshold and uh, therefore if I'm getting myself in trouble. You can just vote a poll right there in the chat. No, actually, don't do that. That, that, would, be, uh, um, that would be hard to hear. <laughs> I hope I'm not over 20%. Uh, how many of you want to raise your hand right where you are in the living room? I'm mad at Pastor Glenn. Uh, and I bet that's true, not if you're just leading a church. I bet that's true right now if you're leading a business, if you're leading a school, if you're teaching a class, if you're running a family. Um, is 20% of your family mad at you right now as you've come through a year of COVID? Are you leading your family? You can be in the center of God's will, even if 20% of your family is mad at you right now. Now, let's spend the remainder of our time asking Jesus how can, oh Jesus, how can, how can we control our anger? 
Uh, Matthew 5, verses 21 through 26, Jesus said, You have heard that it was said to the people long ago, You shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, You fool, will be in danger of the fire of hell. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way or your adversary may hand you over to the judge and the judge may hand you over to the officer and you may be thrown into prison. Truly I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. So let's break this down now to six things Jesus is going to tell us about how to handle our anger. Uh, First of all, Jesus says, to consider the cause. He says, but I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister without cause will be subject to judgment. Now, some of the ancient Greek manuscripts add the two words without cause. Uh, These words are not in the earliest texts of Matthew's gospel, so that's why we don't include them within our Bible. They're in the footnotes, but they're not in the scriptures. But arguably, they are a correct interpretation of Jesus' teaching. You know, sometimes these scholars, as they're copying it, they just can't help themselves, and they have to put in there. Now, of course, Jesus means uh, if you're angry without, without cause. That's what he means. And they can't help themselves. They put it in. But we take it out because we want to go only with the earliest, most accurate uh, Greek manuscripts. But that really does, I think that is a proper interpretation of Jesus' teaching. And basically, Jesus is saying not all anger is wrong. I mean, we just saw that in the life of Moses. Sometimes it was wrong. At the end of his life, what he did was wrong. When he murdered the Egyptian, that was wrong. But there were many examples of righteous anger where it was he was anger. That's an emotion, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily, it can be wrong, it can be right. Not all anger is wrong. We saw this with Moses, and we see this with Jesus, uh, getting angry uh, several times throughout his ministry. Let me just give you one example from Mark chapter 3, verse 1. Another time Jesus went into the synagogue and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. They watched him closely to see if he would heal this man on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. Then Jesus asked them, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they remained silent. He looked around at them in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts. And then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. Then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Uh, Nicky Gumbel writes, Anger is God's personal reaction to sin. Jesus, his reaction to the stubborn hearts, this poor man had a shriveled hand, and their rules were more important than this poor man having his hand healed. Uh, Anger is Jesus, is God's personal reaction to sin. He loves people, and he is angry on behalf 
of the victims of oppression, injustice, and cruelty. Uh, God is protective. Jesus is protective of his people, and he gets angry when, and whenever anything or anyone threatens them. I want to show you a quick video clip. Uh, here's my hero for this week. Uh, watch how this 17-year-old teenage girl, 17-year-old teenage girl, watch how she reacts when her dogs are threatened uh, by a bear. Let's watch this together. Now that is absolutely awesome. <laughs> how, she, how she pushes the bear off the wall. Why? Because she loves her dogs. And this bear was threatening her dogs. You know what? You just got to watch that one more time. Let's, let's watch that uh, one more time together. Now, just like that teenage girl loves her dogs, she's protective of her dogs in the same way Jesus is protective of his people and he gets angry whenever anything or anyone threatens um, his, his people, it threatens you or threatens me. Uh, it's righteous anger. Jesus always has righteous anger. Now, here's my problem in life. I'm not Jesus. That's my problem. I'm not Jesus. You say, thank you, Captain Obvious. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. Thank you, Captain Obvious, for pointing out the obvious. Jesus always had righteous anger. My anger, however, often turns into unrighteous uh, anger. Unlike Jesus, I get angry much of the time because I'm hurt, because I'm jealous, because I'm proud, because I'm arrogant. Ephesians 4, 26, Paul writes, in your anger, do not sin. That is, anger is not necessarily sinful. Anger can be righteous, it can be unrighteous. But when you're angry, no sin in the emotion of anger, but when you're angry, don't let it lead into unrighteous anger, don't sin. Anger in and of itself is not sin, but it could easily turn into sin. Uh, 2,300 years ago, Aristotle wrote, anybody can become angry. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person and to the right degree and at the right time and for the right purpose and in the right way, that is not within everybody's power and is not easy. I would even say to Aristotle, it's not just, it's just not that it's not easy. I would say that it's impossible outside of Jesus. We need Jesus. Uh, Galatians 2, verse 20, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the power of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is only as Jesus lives his life through me that I can be angry at the right times and not angry at the wrong times. That's why we need Jesus. Now, the Greek word that Jesus uses in, in the Sermon on the Mount, in this passage, means long-lived anger. 
It's not just momentary anger. It's long-lived anger. The anger of a person who nurses wrath. They nurse their anger to keep it warm. It means anger that broods, that refuses to be pacified and seeks revenge. That's the kind of anger, the Greek word that Jesus chooses here to describe this kind of anger. This is the kind of anger that leads to murder in our heart. That's why John wrote in 1 John 3, verse 15, anyone who hates a brother or sister with the kind of anger that Jesus is talking about there, anyone who hates a brother or sister is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life residing in him. So how do we avoid that kind of anger? Uh, Number two, press the pause button. Uh, We imitate God. God is slow to anger, so we need to be slow to anger. Psalm 145, verse 8, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, and rich in love. Proverbs 14, verse 17, a quick-tempered person does foolish things. You know, that's the danger of email. The danger of email is that it enables people to respond very quickly when they're angry. Uh, let that email sit for a day before you send it. Or, or better yet, have someone else look at that email and give you some feedback before you send it. I don't mean just informational email, but whenever you're expressing a frustration with something, either let it sit for a day and, and, and then change it a little bit, rework it, then send it, or let somebody give you feedback and, and, and take in that feedback uh, before you send it. Another uh, thing that has to do with uh, social or that applies uh, to social media is Proverbs 22, verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Let me ask you, are there hot-tempered people on social media today? Don't make friends or don't make enemies either. Don't fight with them with a hot-tempered person online. Do not associate with one easily angered. Why? because you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. Jesus said, if you hang out with angry people, uh, spouting angry things on social media, and receiving their anger and giving that anger back, you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared and become even angrier yet. Uh, number three, Jesus says, watch your words. Jessamine West writes, a broken bone can heal. But the wound a word opens can fester forever. A broken bone can heal. But the wound a word opens can fester forever. You know, I I broke my femur. Biggest bone in your body is your thigh bone. And I fell out of a tree, out of a tree house and uh, in the woods behind our farm. uh, When I was nine years old, broke my femur. That is healed beautifully. But I can still tell you things I remember hearing when I was nine years old. Uh, that have not healed, like that femur, that that thigh bone has healed. It's healed, but some of the the hurts from words, and I'm sure you can think, I bet you can think right now about words that were said to you when you were young, or or, or in your younger years, or throughout the years, young adult, middle adult, as as an adult, I bet there's words you can remember from years ago that you can still back back to memory and they still have certain emotions connected with them because a broken bone can heal, but the wound, uh, a word opens, uh, can fester forever. Jesus said again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. 
and anyone who says you fool will be in danger of the fire of hell. Now, raka was an Aramaic term that insults a person's mind. It's like calling someone stupid or an idiot. A fool is a Greek word that insults a person's character. So fool was a Greek word, insults a person's character. Raka was an Aramaic term that insults a person's mind, um, um, being an imbecile or stupid or idiot or something like that. Now, I used to think that these two words are the ones to avoid, fool and raka. Now, raka is not a word that anybody uses. That was an easy one to avoid. But I've literally never, I can never remember calling a person a fool in all my years. I'm 64 years old, I can never remember calling a person a fool because I remember just being scared of that word. Boy, just avoid those two words. You know, actually, as I've studied this more, um, I used to think, you know, just avoid those two words because fool and raka, they're, they're the very worst. You know, I think I've gotten that completely wrong as I study this, what Bible scholars say about this. Uh, it's actually the opposite. Actually, raka and fool were some of the mildest words that a person could use. And so what Jesus is saying here is there's danger even in, these aren't the worst words, these are the mildest words. And there's danger even in the mildest put-downs. So instead of words that put people down, we're supposed to do what it says in Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath. Don't use any words. And Jesus is saying, raka and fool, they were even some of the mildest words. So if those words, uh, can, God's watching and will judge us for every word that we say, even the mild ones like, like those two, how much more all the other words? And so he says, be careful of those. Instead, have a gentle answer that turns away wrath, but a harsh word uh, stirs up anger. And then number four, master your mind. Jesus says, you have heard that it was said to the people long ago, you shall not murder, and anyone who murders will be subject to judgment. But I tell you, not just physically murdering someone, that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, enough that you could murder them, they will be subject to judgment as well. Uh, Jesus is saying that the battle against murderous anger starts in the mind. And then number five, Jesus says, count the cost. He uses phrases like, uh, we're in danger of the fire of hell or you may be thrown in, into prison. And even if not a literal prison, a, a prison of our minds. Anger can imprison us. Even if it's not a literal prison, it still can imprison us. Uh, I, I, I love this quote by Elizabeth Kenny. She says, he who angers you conquers you. Wow, wow. That is a great quote. He or she who angers you uh, conquers you. That's why uh, Paul writes in Ephesians 4, back to verse 26, we looked at that earlier. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. Deal with it before it gets a foothold in your heart. And do not give the devil a foothold. Deal with it immediately uh, before Satan gets, puts you in a prison. Uh, puts you in a prison of your mind or of your spirit, gets a foothold in your heart. And then number six, pursue peace. Pursue peace. 
Finally, Jesus is going to give us two practical examples about how to deal with situations where anger has caused division in one of our relationships. He advises us, first of all, to settle out of court, and secondly, to settle out of church. Settle out of court, settle out of church. First, uh, settle out of church. Therefore, if you are offering your uh, gift at the altar, and there remember, uh, Jesus says, that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. Let's just put that up there right now. Therefore, if you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. So settle out of church, and then secondly, settle out of court. Jesus goes on to say, settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you're still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. Truly, I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. A Billy Holiday once says, at, at times, it is not good to win a fight after all. Sometimes it's, it's not worth it to win a fight. Jesus says, you might just win by losing. This is the whole flipped lifestyle, the whole flipped way of thinking, the, the countercultural revolution of Jesus, that sometimes the, the best way to win is through losing. C.H. Spurgeon talks about this passage in the Bible. I love this. He says, a lean settlement is better sometimes than a fat lawsuit. Many go into court to get wool, but they come out of court closely shorn. Um, Let's close our time in God's word. Uh, Let's close it with this. Sometimes it's moments of brokenness which create the greatest transformations. Times where fear gives birth to faith, pain leads to healing, and chaos dissolves into peace. It's in these times we often see God more clearly. For in our deepest turmoil, He remains faithful. When our spirit is crushed, He remains strong. When our moment is too heavy, He carries the burden. As gold is refined by fire, we too are often refined by struggle. It's part of growing, changing, becoming. Lately, the journey has been difficult. Our breath has been labored. Our steps uneasy. But we stand in faith knowing who is leading us through this desert. The God of peace, the God of hope, the God of restoration.